Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Kevin Gastola. He is the co-founder and managing editor of Shadowproof, an independent news outlet focused on systemic abuses of power in business and government. He's also the curator of the Dissenter newsletter and the producer and co-host of the weekly podcast, Unauthorized Disclosure. His new book is Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange, which is published by our friends at the Censored Press and Seven Stories Press. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be with you. It's an honor to have you here, Kevin. And first, before we dive into this book, uh, can you tell our listeners about Shadowproof and what they might expect to find there? Yeah, this organization is um, an independent news site uh, that I basically use to make projects possible, uh, like the newsletter that I do with the dissenter covering whistleblowers and uh, Julian Assange's cases we'll be getting to today in this conversation. Um, and then also I have a colleague whose name is Brian, and he's based in Portland, Maine, and we work this together. And he oversees a fellowship for journalism called the Marvel Cook Fellowship that gives opportunities to writers, um, especially writers of color, so that they can write about policing and prisons and uh, write about activism and um, ways we can deal with public safety that don't depend solely on law enforcement and uh, police. So uh, we're, we have this uh, nice energy at Shadowproof of focusing on the issues, uh, focusing on systems of power. I don't spend a lot of time on electoral politics. I do mostly issues-based journalism. And then, and then also there's some space on the site for covering protest music and occasionally doing other bits of cultural writing. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin. Um, and how about a plug for your podcast, Unauthorized Disclosure? Can you tell us a bit about that and maybe point our listeners towards uh, an episode of interest if they want to check it out and they're looking for a jumping on point? Well, sure. So I have been doing this podcast called Unauthorized Disclosure for, we're in the 10th season. I collaborate with my co-host, Rania Kalik, who is based in Beirut in Lebanon. And um, we're both longtime journalists at this point who try to uh, bring on guests uh, that we can give a platform who who may not uh, you may not often see them. They're not necessarily well-known people, but sometimes they are. Um, and we try to uh, dig into uh, issues much like what I do with Shadowproof, we we try to dig into issues. Global issues tends to, a, a lot of times it'll deal with U.S. foreign policy, but not all the time. And uh, so I would I would turn people's attention, though, um, we about the time that you post this, it's probably likely that there will be an episode available for people with uh, human rights attorney Stephen Donziger, who... It was uh, the target of this um, 
unprecedented prosecution in New York that had him jailed. Uh, basically, um, Chevron, the oil company, was involved in going after him because uh, they wanted to shut down. He was he was representing people in Ecuador who had their land polluted by Chevron Oil or a company that Chevron had ownership over. And um, instead of paying the settlement, they turned to was using the law, using uh, the courts to go after Stephen Donziger. Um, he ended up doing time in prison um, in a political case. And so now he's been doing a lot of work after completing that on the environment. And we're going to talk with him about some of what he's been doing post-prison. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, our bookstore, Explore Booksellers, is owned by uh, an environmental nonprofit. So we'll all look forward to uh, listening to that episode. Um, now let's dive into your book, Guilty of Journalism, The Case Against Julian Assange. I'm going to approach this a bit backwards um, in a moment by asking about some recent developments. But for now, uh, let's hold off on talking about those and just give our listeners who are unaware, Kevin, some information about who Julian Assange is, what he has done to catch the attention of the United States government, and what the current charges are against him. Very basically, Julian Assange... Um, had this idea that he described as scientific journalism, which was that there could be a website and, and he found it and it was called WikiLeaks. And this was around 2007. Uh, and it could be this repository for information that was collected. And you could get human rights activists, attorneys, people who were interested in protecting uh freedoms throughout the world could challenge governments to release documents, and they could also engage in their own work to try and expose documents. And then there could be a public archive that would be accessible to people around the world. And there we would be able to challenge some of the global corruption that plagues everything that we're trying to do as, as, as I think human beings. And so in 2010, he published documents that were given to him by an army whistleblower in the U S named Chelsea Manning. And those documents involved the Iraq war, the Afghanistan war. There were hundreds of thousands of diplomatic cables from the U S state department that exposed and revealed some of what the U.S. does when they're uh, working with countries, uh, not even just allies, but also um, people who are like countries that are known as notorious human rights abusers. And then there were also documents that exposed the false intelligence or the flawed intelligence that was being used to keep over 700 people detained indefinitely at Guantanamo Bay as part of the global war on terrorism. There was a video called the that they called the collateral murder video that showed a 2007 Apache helicopter attack in Baghdad where a couple Reuters employees, Reuters being a news media organization, they were gunned down by uh, the US military. And then there also showed that when someone arrived in a van they call him a good Samaritan trying to rescue 
the or take care of the wounded, that van was shot up as well by the Apache helicopter. And this was a very vivid depiction or imagery of what war was like in Iraq. And so all of this material was put out and the charges all relate to this material, although the U.S. government didn't charge him for publishing the collateral murder video. And the charges are that uh, 17 of them are under the U.S. Espionage Act. And the is there's also one charge that is a computer crime charge. Uh, but the Espionage Act charge is... Uh, very alarming to most press freedom and human rights organizations around the world. There's pretty much unanimous agreement that this is a troubling case that the U.S. has decided to pursue. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. And we're going to um, unpack a little bit um, of what you just said in that answer over the course of this interview. But in the introduction, to your book, Abby Martin writes that uh, for years, the U.S. government has prosecuted whistleblowers. Um, Kevin, can you provide a couple examples of this? And are there any examples that come to mind of whistleblowers who have not been prosecuted? Well, I'm sure that there are whistleblowers that have not been prosecuted. And perhaps the reason why they haven't been prosecuted is because in order to speak their truth, they didn't have to expose classified information. Um, they were exposing something that people in power, either Democrats or Republicans, were open to trying to address. Uh, perhaps they found a senator found a congressperson that had some kind of influence who was able to protect them from retaliation. There are a lot of different factors that lead into why someone wouldn't necessarily be prosecuted. But I followed uh, primarily these have been what we could call national security whistleblowers, but I've also followed other whistleblower cases. But I'm particularly focused in my book, which has a chapter that chronicles the number of cases that came uh, under President Barack Obama, mm -hmm. under President Donald Trump, and then leading into President Joe Biden's administration, and how you have had over a dozen different people prosecuted under the Espionage Act over the last decade. And you know, there are people like, well, Chelsea Manning was prosecuted under the Espionage Act, but I highlight examples like um, Thomas Drake is a national security agency whistleblower who very early on in the 2000s was raising alarms about unconstitutional surveillance um, and the way the NSA was abusing its um, power to have uh, have contracts with uh, um, uh, that would have led to a lot of waste and abuse and fraud. And then uh, I highlight the case of a CIA whistleblower named John Kiriakou, who was prosecuted. He actually endorsed my book and and his reason he became 
a notable figure was because he went on ABC News and he was one of the first people in any position to confirm that the Bush administration was engaged in waterboarding against terrorism detainees, and he called it torture, mm. and uh, that it was one of the techniques that was being used during harsh interrogations. And that made him a target that people in uh, uh, the CIA, because he was a CIA whistleblower, wanted to um, retaliate against him, find some way that they could prosecute him. And and then, of course, there's Edward Snowden, very well-known NSA whistleblower. And uh, I mean, I'll just conclude with a lesser known case of, of Daniel Hale, who I highlight in the book. And he's actually imprisoned right now. I'm based in Chicago and he's in the state of Illinois in the southern part in a federal penitentiary called Marion County um, or, or in Marion County, Illinois. And he's being kept in a communications management unit that restricts him severely. And what he did was expose the drone program that was developed, uh, the method of putting people on kill lists um, and the way it worked because he had been in the Air Force and um, had uh, some knowledge of the way that was conducted. And then as he was a contractor, he had access to information and was able to give it, provide it to Jeremy Scahill at The Intercept, who had done a lot of work at the time on this with his Dirty Wars book. Um, and he also had a documentary that ended up accompanying it that had the same title. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for that answer, Kevin. Um, you hit upon um, Barack Obama and Donald Trump, and um, we sort of live in ridiculously divisive times right now um, between the right and the left playing folks against each other. Um, for our listeners, can you flesh out uh, Barack Obama's approach to governmental leaks with Donald Trump's, like their difference in their approaches? I don't think that there is that much difference, although I will I will say that perhaps Donald Trump was more bombastic and colorful and willing to say, you know, bring me the head of leakers on a pike or things of that nature that truly showed how unhinged and hurt he was that people were challenging him and uh, leaking to the press or that a whistleblower would dare to expose his administration. But Barack Obama's dislike for leaks was well known. I quote Jonathan Alter, who wrote a book called The Promise about the first year, year and a half of the Obama administration. And it noted Barack Obama's visceral dislike or hatred for leaks and and how he made it an issue and at least a few meetings where he talked to people about how he didn't want people in his staff or his administration leaking. And then, of course, there would be leaks about that. And so uh, it would make it even more complicated. Uh, leaks are just a natural part of government. Um, they're a big part of 
history. You you can't make them go away, but there is a tension in Washington, D.C., where systems have been stood up and they have been established so that they can try and crack down on anyone who talks to the media. This especially impacts lower level people, um, usually high ranking officials can talk to the press about what they would like without fearing retaliation or prosecution in if you want to take an extreme point of view. But when you look at what Barack Obama did, he essentially set in motion the template that could be used by the Justice Department to prosecute anyone who released classified information to the press without permission who talked about sensitive national security or military matters. He prosecuted more people under the Espionage Act than all previous presidents combined. Uh, he, even as Edward Snowden was making an impact where you had uh, a judge or two ruling that certain programs by the NSA were unconstitutional, even as Congress was passing reform because they acknowledged that U.S. citizens' data, their privacy had been violated. The Justice Department was still intent, and, and they still have an indictment pending against Edward Snowden, who is living in exile in Russia. Uh, and so uh, I say that he refined the system of secrecy in such a manner that enabled President Donald Trump to enter the White House and use that machinery to go after leaks. It's what Attorney General Jeff Sessions used to then go and revive the grand jury that had been investigating WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, which was started under President Obama. And then Jeff Sessions was, as well as others in the Trump administration, intent to investigate three times, four times the amount of leaks that the Obama administration had investigated. And, uh, you know, they they had this counter, I call it a kind of counter subversive mentality. You know, anybody who they thought was trying to bring down the Trump White House, they were going to root out those people and uh, bring them to trial if they could, if they had cases to make. Uh, and there were there were a, a, at least three or four whistleblowers who ended up being prosecuted under Trump. And then with Joe Biden now, I mean, again, you talk about the division between Republicans and Democrats or the right and the left being at each other's throats. But one thing they do agree on is that they're willing to have this system that will punish people for leaking to the press. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin. Listeners, we are going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsors. And then I will be right back with Kevin Gastolo. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore 
explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Kevin Gastola, author of Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange. Kevin, when we started talking, I told you I was going to approach this topic uh, in a kind of backwards manner. And what I mean is, uh, recently, President of the United States, Joe Biden, has made a point of stating that journalists are not criminals and should not be in jail. And yet, Julian Assange. Um, How does Julian Assange's imprisonment jive with Biden's statements? And has the United States government had any official response to Biden's statement not computing with Assange's imprisonment? By and large, the White House rejects any questions from reporters about the Assange case. Uh, They'll just refuse to answer those questions. The White House press secretary, uh, Karina Jean-Pierre, I believe is her name, was asked on World Press Freedom Day by a reporter about these press freedom advocates who were discussing the conversation, this journalism is not a crime, as you mentioned, the way in which the administration was talking about particular cases of journalists who have been detained, especially Evan Gershkovich, who is the Wall Street Journal reporter who Russia has uh, detained um, and has become the cause of, of news media organizations and the U.S. State Department and other parts to try and get him freed uh, from his his being in jail. Uh, but uh, she refused to address the question. The State Department was asked a similar question about whether Julian Assange is a journalist who should be protected uh, by the same principles and values that are upheld on World Press Freedom Day. And uh, the State Department uh, instead of not commenting, was uh, in, a, in a sort of stunning fashion, decided to revert to a talking point from 2010 where they talked about how they believe that Julian Assange had engaged in criminal conduct. Um, and so uh, it was serious. And uh, it, essentially, they were endorsing the prosecution that the Justice Department has pursued. It does not square. Um, and I think when you look around the world, you see a political upswell. There have been multiple letters from parliamentarians in the UK, parliamentarians in Australia, where Julian Assange is from, by the way, just to make sure people listening know, Julian Assange is an Australian citizen, not an American. Um, and he is detained right now in a high security prison called Belmarsh. Her Majesty's Prison Belmarsh in London. So you've had the letters in the US and UK, which have some involvement in this process. And then in Brazil and Mexico, there have been parliamentarians that have written letters. And there have been seven or eight members of Congress that wrote letters to wrote a letter to the Justice Department asking for the charges to be dropped. And they see that if the US wants to stand up and protect press freedom and human rights or say that that's what needs to be preserved, then they can't also be imprisoning and detaining Julian Assange. So I'll just, I'll be even more pointed in my statement here and say that I am struck by what has happened to Evan Gershkovich in Russia, because it seems to be a part of the world that the U.S. 
is creating or encouraging by prosecuting Julian Assange. What I mean by that is the Russian government said that they arrested Evan Gershkovich because they suspected or believed he was collecting state secrets about their military operations in Ukraine. And that is almost identically the argument or accusation against Julian Assange, that he was soliciting classified information or collecting state secrets from the U.S. government that would jeopardize U.S. national security and help foreign powers or foreign enemies um, give them some advantage against the United States. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, His Majesty's Royal Prison as of... Yeah, yes, I should I should change that. <laughs> <laughs> it's brand new. We all have to get used to it. So um, a couple of very simple questions here. Um, Kevin, is Julian Assange a journalist? I open my book with those words. Mm-hmm. I very clearly can articulate that Julian Assange is a journalist. And I do think it matters. There are people who say, well, it doesn't matter. He engaged in journalism and that's more important than figuring out the label. But I do think that the U.S. Justice Department is very deliberately seizing upon this debate to make it easier for them to bring charges that do endanger journalists' ability to publish information, to 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 practice their work, um, and I think also in general endanger freedom expression for all citizens uh, because anybody honestly could receive classified information and if they you know wanted to publish it on the internet might be open to prosecution. Certainly, the case of Jack Teixeira, the Air National Guardsman who has been prosecuted, ignoring some of the specific circumstances of who he is and what he did and why he did it, just the basic fact that we're talking about somebody who had information that he posted on a Discord chat room, and that just tells you we're in this new world where you you could share things that you learn from friends or family and perhaps get in trouble. I don't know if any of the people who shared information from him are going to be prosecuted or not, but technically speaking, if the government really wanted to push it, they probably could go after them. Um, So I think that Julian Assange is a journalist. Mm -hmm. He fits the definition that the Committee to Protect Journalists uses. Um, He published information at WikiLeaks that on one hand makes him a journalist in my mind, but also if that doesn't convince people, it's also worth noting that he was a commentator before he was arrested and that should give him protection as well. He would go on TV shows on CNN, on Al Jazeera English, and he would comment on NSA surveillance or Google, or he would talk about things that were happening with U.S. wars. He was invited on a very popular, well-known, progressive, independent show, Democracy Now!, regularly, and he would be asked not necessarily about the work of WikiLeaks and what he did as editor-in-chief, but also about issues that he was knowledgeable on when it came to surveillance and war. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Kevin.
So um, I'm thinking about the computer hacking charges here, and this is just my ignorance of the legal system. Um, but if someone hacks a computer based in the United States from a computer based in Australia or wherever, um, does the crime take place in the United States or in Australia? It really depends how the prosecutors want to pursue it. Mm -hmm. They could let Australia prosecute that person. Mm -hmm. In fact, Julian Assange actually had been prosecuted for hacking into a computer system when he was much, much younger. Mm. And that was handled um, by Australia. There's a uh, good movie about this called Underground for mm. people who are listening. Uh, I'm just pulling it up. It's called Underground. It's the Julian Assange story. It was an Australian television film that mm. was about, it told the story of Assange when um he was working with um, a, a, a bunch of hackers or hacktivists, however you want to view them. Mm. Uh, and and he was, at the time in 1989, he had the moniker of Mendax. And uh, he was able to find security flaws in U.S. government systems. Um, and so... Uh, if he he was prosecuted, he was prosecuted in Australia. He never came to the United States. Hmm. The U.S. government could also extradite somebody and say that because they the systems that were attacked are in Washington D.C., then those people should be brought to the capital of the United States and prosecuted in that jurisdiction. So it's all depending on what the U.S. government wants to do. Of course, in order to get somebody from Australia, you'd have to extradite them to the United States, which is its own process mm. that, like what we're seeing with Assange right now, will take quite a number of years. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. And finally, we have a lot more we could cover here, folks, but our time is running short in what could basically be a never-ending conversation. <laughs> um, but Kevin, you cover this in your book, uh, but our listeners may not have had the opportunity to read it yet. Um, what is the difference between Julian Assange and WikiLeaks publishing leaked classified documents pertaining to the United States of America and, say, the New York Times publishing the same documents. Uh, surely the New York Times is comprised um, of reporters who are United States citizens, which again, uh, as we've covered, Assange is not. So why is Assange uh, prosecuted for these things that traditional media outlets um, have free reign to, to publish as they have historically? Well, let me work backward. Yeah. I believe that the reason why Julian Assange has been prosecuted and someone at the New York Times has not been prosecuted for their handling of this information is because he's outspoken and has taken positions against the U.S. government, strong positions mm -hmm. being against uh, the Afghanistan war, or the way it was carried out, uh, speaking out against the way the Iraq war was carried out, uh, speaking out against massive surveillance systems, including those 
set up in countries around the world where those people have all of their private communications uh, sucked up into U.S. databases and the U.S. government says they don't have any protection because they aren't covered by the U.S. Constitution. So Mm -hmm. all those people, whether there's any good reason or not for the U.S. to have their data, the United States is collecting it. And so having this record, speaking out about this, taking these positions, it leaves those in power to make the argument that uh, you're more of an activist than a journalist because you're so opinionated. And there's an idea, which I don't actually buy myself, and uh, I've dealt with it in my work before, but you know, there's an idea that you have to have a kind of objectivity or a neutrality or be balanced in it. And obviously, Julian Assange does not try at all to be balanced in his approach to the U.S. government. And, you know, understandably, they've they've actually been targeting him for 10 to 15 years. Um, and they made claims against his organization that they had blood on their hands and all of that, which we don't have time to get into. But he has been attacked and smeared. So you can understand why he would be willing to challenge them and fight back. Uh, Whereas like the New York times and most people in that organization are going to negotiate with officials in the U S government. They're going to share what they have maybe a few days before they're about to publish their story. They're going to double check to make sure that people aren't going to be harmed or, you know, is there anything here that we should hold back and, and, and why make your case to us. Um, And then if we're persuaded, we will make adjustments to our reporting and, and, and WikiLeaks doesn't want to harm people. Um, They did try to contact the state department at one time, Julian Assange did, uh, but they also they don't really want to give the U.S. government the ability to avoid anything blowing up in their face. Uh, they don't want to give them time to prepare ahead so that they can you know, diminish the impact of of what is being shared with the world. So they're the same. And yeah. actually, the prosecutors in Chelsea Manning's case in the military recognized that they were the same. And that should actually give Julian Assange um, a kind of defense Mm. if he's put on trial. I'll conclude with that because saying that because what the military prosecutors conceded or admitted in Chelsea Manning's trial was, well, if it had been the New York Times that Chelsea Manning went to, they would still be prosecuting Chelsea Manning the same way. And so then that means that WikiLeaks was engaged in journalism, Mm. just like the New York Times. So it, it it cuts both ways. Uh, if they're not different, then yeah, it's alarming because it means that people who are part of the establishment media, or I call them the prestige media in my book, do need to be concerned. But also, um, it also gives Julian some protection because it means that in 2010, the US government saw them as an operation that was involved in publishing and and news and that they were forming partnerships with news media organizations and they were just like every other media outlet that publishes reporting on the United States. 
Thank you, Kevin. And just a very quick follow-up. If the idea is that Julian Assange, for example, would be an activist because um, being of uh, being strongly opinionated and not a journalist, how would that philosophy apply to outlets like, say, MSNBC or Fox News? That's a good question. Uh, I don't. I. 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 I don't know. Uh, although I will say that for them, I see those outlets is less involved in journalism and and more involved in uh, commentary and what is more like kind of like news entertainment. Mm. And I suppose the showmanship in that, they're still broadcast journalists, but, uh, well, just to take the essence of your question, if one was prosecuted just like Julian Assange, they would have the same defense that Julian Assange has. They, you know, they would presumably be able to argue that they were engaged in journalism and they should not be accused of violating the Espionage Act. If someone, I don't know, Chris Hayes at MSNBC gets a bunch of documents and wants to share them on their show. Um, is he going to be prosecuted? Well, if he was, he would have the same defense that Julian Assange should have to protect him, um, even though that's not stopped the U.S. from going forward with this case. So meaningfully, having an opinion is something that we all can discuss, but within a courtroom, uh, your opinion should not matter. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about this wonderfully interesting book. I look forward uh, to your continued coverage uh, of this case against Julian Assange. Listeners, I've been speaking with Kevin Gastola, author of Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange, which is published by our friends at the Censored Press and Seven Stories. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Kevin Gostola for joining me. Copies of Guilty of Journalism, the political case against Julian Assange can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code SPACE to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.